Actual Fluency Podcast, episode 26 with Andrew Williams. Do you like audiobooks? Well, then Audible is for you. If you go to actualfluency.com forward slash book, you can choose a free audiobook from a selection of 150,000 titles. Are you thinking about starting your own language learning website? Then check out HostGator. Use the coupon code ACTUALFLUENCY to get you your first month for just one cent. Get started by going to actualfluency.com forward slash HostGator. Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast, the podcast that gives you the tools and inspiration to learn languages faster and more efficiently. And now your host, Chris Broholm. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. This is episode 26. My name is Chris Broholm and I'm excited to welcome you to the very last of the Polyglot Berlin Gathering interviews. These were the interviews that I sat down in Berlin doing with these great uh, language learners and polyglots. And of course, due to being in a hostel in Berlin, the recording quality is not as good as the internet recording quality you might see in some of the other episodes. But hopefully it's manageable because this interview is very interesting. It's with Mr. Andrew Williams, who has been learning languages all his life after his father suggested that he learned a language a year. So that's incredibly interesting. And we get into a lot of language learning related kind of uh, problems or solutions so if you're into learning languages which i hope you are when you're listening to this then this episode is definitely definitely for you always remember that if you're interested in more language learning material or inspiration or you want to check out my stories or language missions you can always check out actualfluency.com and you should be able to navigate quite easily using the top menus if you've never been to the website before i can recommend that you start with actualfluency.com forward slash start and that will kind of guide you through some of the most popular content and some of the best podcast episodes that i chose myself so that's that's it for now and and do know that this is a casual conversation interview style which means that i don't quite introduce andrew but hopefully you you have got enough introduction in this introduction to to know who he is it's just a casual conversation between two language learners and i, I think you'll enjoy it so um do do enjoy it and if, if you have any questions or comments feel free do send me a message. How many languages are you comfortable having a conversation like this in? Uh, that's a good question. I would say anywhere from about really comfortable in about six or eight, and maybe a bit more, maybe 10, 20, depending on the level required. Right. I've studied loads more. And to me, they're all tools. It's rather like you're a craftsman and you chisel something and then you, you know, sharpen it up, you use it, then you put it down, it gets rusty, but then right. you pick it up and use it again. Yeah. So all this thing about how do we keep them all going, it's, it's not a question for me at all. No. You can't expect, even if you have uh, three, four, five, you can't expect to have consistency all the time. And, you know, this, this, these are just sort of rational thoughts which are not relevant really just enjoy it and use it it's the usage which makes you good i think right whatever your purpose is you know work uh, you fall in love or travel sure. or, you know that's what make it real that's yeah. it for you exactly that's but right. but still i mean that's a, a lot of languages as well to study well i mean it's, it's, you see i started like i told you with india from you know moment i could speak yeah let's go, let's go back to the, the can you can you give a kind of a, a little backstory to how you how you were brought up and, and how that made you interested in language because i assume that's a i mean i'm not saying english people in general are not into languages but you kind of need an external input it seems to have that extraordinary interest i think so i think just growing up um completely from two months in uh, India and uh, we did sometimes go back to UK for holidays now and then but I've very much all of my childhood early childhood memories are of India and of all this multiplicity of of sound of languages of religions of the people and all of that package and to me language is part of that package right and um, and loving it and, and ever since I've always been curious about i hear a new sound oh what's that you know what language? Right. you know so there's there's a desire in there in me all the time 
It's not for some people. It's a chore. Or uh, my auntie said to me one day, "Why, why are you learning Japanese?" I said, "Well, for loads of reasons." <laughs> to her, it was incomprehensible, but to me, you know, it's just attitude. And right. So it went on from there. So, you, so you have this kind of uh, almost curiosity. Oh, definitely. And definitely. But, but how do you then choose between? I mean, you said you said you had say uh, six, eight, ten languages that you know quite well, and then you had a lot of people, uh, languages you studied. Which languages then became the the ones you studied intensively? Whether it's because of usage or an extra kind of uh, factor there. All sorts of things. I mean, from I went to a wonderful school even in India. I'll never forget a primary school with a wonderful lady who was very eccentric and marvelous. And we already there we had Hindi, Latin. French and German from oh. you know five or six I suppose so I was away and then with the English school system the private school that went on and you add these others Greek and whatnot and eventually I'm but even before university where I did I took French and Russian as a degree I was already this whole thing of sort of I hear a sound I get the book I start playing with it I listen to you know it's it's kind of it's a sort of game in itself and it's an exciting it's a chase yeah. you know? and I think we enjoy our nature is to seek and find and what's around the corner right. where's the hidden treasure all that sort of thing yeah. and I think for me there's a very simple there are, there are very simple pleasures like the sound um, aesthetic but also I love the thing of communicating of speaking especially in unusual language to someone and they go ah, there's that right. thing he can speak my language you know it's so amazing yeah. I love that Especially going to Asia or somewhere far away, right, they don't expect, don't expect it, you know. And, and I feel, it's, you know, that's a useful thing to have for the whole world, really. That right. you know, we should all communicate somewhere or another with different languages. That's I think that's exciting. Yeah. I should think many people here would feel similar. You know. But then, the problem, I guess, is that when you say the the a lot of the powers in the chase, then. It doesn't it become a problem that we're kind of chasing, let's say, ten different languages at once, and we end up with nothing or zero or maybe one and a half or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> is that... is. I've never thought of it like that. Um, I think I always end up with something. I mean, just give an example. This afternoon, I was at Alexanderplatz, mm -hmm. and there was this group of Russians, and they're all. What I love about on my travels, I often hear little bits. I think, oh, that's that little grammar point I've been struggling with. You know, I just overhear this stuff. And there was this one Russian boy said to the other, Zakoj Kamnye, come to me. Now, I would say, Pridi Kamnye, you see. Right. But it's a slight different, you know, Russian. It's, pronoun, a, yeah. it's a different, it's a, um, you know, it's the uh, the two, two verbs. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting the terminology. But anyway, it's a typical Russian thing of, Perfect. Hadid, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. But Hadid means to go habitually. Iti means to go now. Right. But he's, it's almost like he's saying, come here, but it's not urgent. It's, you know, it's just, kind of, it's these subtleties, you yeah. see, that don't exist in other languages. Right. Certainly not in English. Yeah, that's what I love about you know, Russian. You see, you, every language you pick up different nuances of meaning that cannot be conveyed in your own language. Right. You know? And I love that. But that's maybe what I thought when I was 11. I thought that English had more opportunity. Exactly, for exactly. It was more expressive for you. Yeah. And I know many people who said the same. I mean, I often have a problem even uh, of expression when I'm talking and I suddenly think, Oh, I could say that better in French or in Russian or right. Japanese, because and it builds up. And the more you languages you have, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And you have to consciously say, no, it may not be perfect, but say it in the language you're using. You know, <laughs> just to be simple. So right. you get this richness. You know? Yeah. And um, there's this wonderful book. Do you know this book of Tingo? There these wonderful little books. I, I can get the, oh, and they're amazing. Right. They talk about languages in Polynesia or uh, Brazilian jungle and all the, the words they have for things we wouldn't be able to conceive of. You know? Right. And this is the the, the tragedy of lo of language death. Yes. Yeah. We we don't just lose the word for house or food. We lose the word of way to describe a sunset right. or, you know, the human has mind has constructed all this stuff. And it shouldn't go forever. No. You know, it's but it is hard to keep those alive because it is when you, when you if you look just at a personal kind of view, you I mean, six thousand languages are so active yeah. right now. Yeah, you can't learn six thousand languages no. to any degree. Yeah. So then you'd say I can't learn five nine nine nine, and then you get down to I can maybe look at thirty to forty yeah. realistically, or fifty yeah. maybe if you're really uh, diligent. Yeah, but then 
boiling down even further, how many can you reach fluency in? And then you just realize, well, I could be fluent in Russian instead of speaking uh, one of the dying languages. Exactly. And then there's a practicality to it, which for me, sadly, is greater than the kind of the feeling of loss for... Well, no, it's for all of us. You know, we live in a certain society and world. We have to deal with it, don't right. we? Right. I mean, if you were at this conference and you had a dying language with like, uh, let's say, 100 speakers on it, you wouldn't find anyone here, even though there's so many different personalities. So not even at the most specialized conference there is, yeah. can you find you know use for it. And then I'm just thinking, language is meant to be used. Yeah, I agree that it's a con- con- you're conveying feeling or emotion or kind of the... I mean, language is how to get thought from your brain. I guess enunciated or kind of spoken right. into the world, right. isn't it? Um, so I think at that point, what we have to do is improve the active ones, like the, those mm-hmm. that have interested speakers, instead of forcing people to uh, to to kind of go back and revive sort of uh, the dead, because it's also um, development, of course. I mean, this is, of course, a little bit political almost, but... Uh, well, all these aspects come in. Yeah. Yeah. Language, language is not, it's not just isolated on itself. It's all these ramifications all around. Right. Like, languages are living as well. Yeah. So if you try to revive a language, it might not be anywhere near what it was when it was alive. Either. Right. That's another problem. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if... Have you, have you looked at any of these very obscure, like, almost dying or dead languages? <laughs> Not really. Um, I would love to, but it's like you say, um, although I have a very romantic nature and I would love to get you know, some poor old woman in the valley in the Caucasus and she's the last one left. And there's only so many German young researchers who can go around the world to get the hold of these people. Right. Uh, and they do a great job. But um, no, I'm afraid I, I've never really had the... You have to have a special nature to go into that I think so, yeah. explorer type thing, and it's very impressive. No, I'm afraid I I just read. In fact, I try not to read because I find it so sad. Yeah. But to me, there just is a loss of human ingenuity. There is. When you think all the ingenuity that's going into this thing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and previously, that went into language. You know, people developed over hundreds of thousands of years these elaborate uh, constructs in order to express themselves. Right. And it's as if the energy is shifting into all this electro right. high tech stuff that we have in the developed world. Of course, in the Caucasus or somewhere, they're still living in that right. world. You know, I'm actually writing my BA in exactly that. In, oh, wow. uh, I'm doing it in uh, what we call the Gutenberg parentheses, oh, wow. and it's uh, a little short one sentence introduction. Is that when the printing press was invented, mm. it changed how we communicated mm. totally, Cross. and everything related to human culture. And now, when we have the internet and we're kind of globally connected in a, like a little village, it feels yeah. like because if you were back in England and I was in Denmark, I could send you a message and you would immediately receive it yeah. within a, a millisecond. You wouldn't even be able to time it. That's how fast it is. Yeah. And that brings us back to pre-printing in terms of communication, orality. Uh-huh. Um, so the interesting thing with regards to languages is technology changing. Of course, it's changing languages, yeah. But it is—is is it going to change our culture and our kind of our society, or you know, the way we feel about ourselves? Yeah, that's yeah. a big question. But yeah, well, I'm sure it is already from what you say. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and it's, it's going to be difficult to do in 20 pages or whatever the BA requirement is these days. But the, um, but I guess it's interesting to talk about also language changes because mm. you started learning a long time ago. And we talked uh, briefly because you had a, an interesting, uh, interesting uh, Danish uh, story, <laughs> and uh, you said you were you'd learned it was a how long ago was it? At least forty years ago, in right. my twenties. Because I, one of my interests is um, I'm a church musician. I play the organ, and the Danish organ builders are very, very good. Right. And uh, I was in Denmark a lot, and nearly went to work with one of them in in Aarhus. Oh yeah, that's a big Markerson. one. Uh, Do you know that Markerson firm? Uh, I've heard of it, yeah. They're very famous. I've worldwide. been into the Domkirke and seen the big uh-huh. one they have. That is yeah. really big. Yeah. And there are a lot. I was there recently and I said, it's funny enough, the lady who runs it now, I remember her as a little girl like that. Right. And her father died rather suddenly recently. And I said to her, do you realize? I said, I'm sure you don't realize. I met you last 40 years ago. You know? Wow. But, you know, this is one of those that is things. Yeah. That is, you know, which of course you can't remember. But, but, but there was a change, a shift. Yeah. Well, you, well what, how did you describe it to me? Was, uh, well, something was deteriorating? Or those well, no, something? I think my feeling about the language, I learned Danish then and I spoke it fairly well, certainly enough for ordinary things to get around. And I had friends in Copenhagen as well and I spoke with them. 
it seems to me just very uh, superficially maybe that the the language is sort of eroding away. That the right. words are getting shorter. Uh, that, and this isn't only. I, I notice as a linguist, I think it's happening around the, the North Sea languages, and certainly in, in English and maybe a little bit in Dutch, French. All these languages they seem to be. You know, we the writing and reading is pretty much the same, but because that's fixed. Yeah. Uh, but speaking is constantly changing. Yeah. And I have this feeling. You know, every day zillions of words are expressed and uttered and many of them are totally unnecessary and pe- simple things like people speak fast they run the words together you know right. I know in Sweden the thing you hear all the time what do you, what do you what say you what do you mean you know yeah, right. and so everything has to be repeated to, not just to me but to right. Swedish people uh, two or three times so yeah. in a way we're wasting words yeah. it's a pity love, um, yeah. but you know it's that rather superficial impression I have but, but still it's a very personal impression that isn't really hard to you can't really find that you know the only reason I can ask you that is because you were there four years ago yeah. and now you're here to see, to listen to it or you've been recently and listened to it again yeah. Yeah. and I find it very interesting and obviously the pronunciation in Davies is one of the big talking points of it yeah. and it's interesting how it just keeps it because we just it's just the endings yeah. if you take the English word to give yeah. give yeah. would be the very book Form yes, yeah. very kind of uh, syllable by syllable saying, yeah. but nobody says that. If you're on the street, they just say "give button." Yeah, give exactly. to me. Gi, yeah. Gi, gi. Yeah. Gi are, yeah. are you giving? Yeah, gi, you yeah. know, uh, and it's just like all the ending is just gone. Yes, and um, exactly. so why, when is it, where is it going to stop? Exactly, <laughs> is I mean, it going to be? Good? Yeah, <laughs> we just end with a, one syllable. Or? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, phonemes and are little sort of packages of sound, usually with a vowel and one or two consonants on either side. Right. Well, when you get rid of the consonants, you you have an exposed vowel, right? And, and that, that goes is to... it's very liable to go. Yeah, it? I mean, it's you're right. It's it's not just <laughs> going to float end. away on the wind, sort of thing. Right. It's not just the end uh, vowel. You yeah. Danish. It's also yeah. the, the. I mean, it's the consonant before that's going. Yeah. So the vowel at the end obviously has to go. You can't say gee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that would be silly. <laughs> so you'd have to change it. But of course, the even the Danish uh, Committee of Languages, Spolnjungle, uh, yeah. are changing the language every year, uh, mostly, you know, adding words and, and changing meanings occasionally, which really? is quite debatable. Yeah, oh. those, the, the thing that happened, I don't know if it happens in other languages, but what happened was uh, people used an idiom incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this happens in other languages, oh, yeah. but it's like uh, the, the same as um, uh, don't sell the skin before you kill the bear or whatever yes. the equivalent yeah. is. Yeah. And people misunderstood a similar idiom. Uh, it mean it was like uh, if you translate it directly, it's like um, he did him a bear favor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Danish, that means doing somebody a favor that turns out not to be a favor, uh-huh. yeah. and so it's not a good thing. Yeah. But people didn't understand it, so yeah. they started using the positive way. And the language committee had to concede that now the meaning is arbitrary or oh, wow. both wow. ambiguous. Wow. And that was one of the big ones, of mm-hmm. course, that's been mentioned. But usually the changes they do is like add, you know, selfie or <laughs> one of these new tech terms <laughs> yeah. uh, to Google. It's just Google. Wow. Yeah. And so it's nice to have an official governing body in a way, but... It's that the language is in the control of the people, so yeah. they can't. They can try to say how you yeah. to speak it, but yeah. the, like you say, it's mostly about writing. You can contain writing to an extent, yeah. but what about speaking? You hear all the English now, all the English. They yeah. they speak in a very distinct way. They also drop a lot of the of, of the sounds uh-huh. that used to be there, and uh, you know, street language. Yeah, the the young kids speak. Yeah. It's very different from the English that was spoken just. Four years ago, Absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah. And um, so I guess the the big question is, I would just say, where is it all leading to yeah. in a sense? Yeah. And how do we do our parts to? I, I'm not saying we should keep it the same because that would be boring. But how do we at least conserve so we don't erode it all the way to? Indeed. In, in we will have nothing to say. It's <laughs> 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 nothing will come out. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's it's good to to make up new languages? I don't know if you're familiar with Esperanto. Well, I'm not terribly. I admire them. I think it's a great idea. They don't really bite with me somehow. No. Um, that's what, I mean. I, I was 
talk about Latin just now, but um, I mean that worked for a long time as a, a you know a language of communication for a certain class right. of people and so on. Uh, but um, I notice it seems to be. I don't really know. It seems to be Esperanto seems to be fairly popular in Germany and certain places. Right. And it's it's a the nice thing. There's a very much a community aspect about it. Definitely. People yeah. they get have clubs and they like each other and all that, which is great. But whether it can ever go beyond that, I don't know. No, me neither. Uh, I mean, I just uh, I've just learned so much about Esperanto at this event that it's it's really yeah. interesting to see the development. And it's still over a hundred years old. Yeah. So yeah. it's only it's pretty young, I guess. Well, it's not the only one. There were one or two others, weren't there? Yeah, there were. I mean, in terms of, in terms of con languages, constructed languages, there are, I guess, billions of them. Really? <laughs> yeah. We don't just don't know them. Yeah. Uh, but the big ones, I guess, right now are the, the talk of the day: are Esperanto and Tokipona. But uh-huh. I don't see Tokipona as a language, and I know that's a bit uh, con- um, controversial, but. If you do a minimalist approach and say you have a language with 120 words, mm. that to me is a linguistic experiment, not yeah. a language. Yeah, exactly. Because the problem that arises is, and it's like a pigeon. You know, mm. you have you heard of this uh, Papua New Guinea p- pigeon? Oh, it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I love it. It's like yes. um, I had it in linguistics, and one of them was, um, I think, helicopter was something like Jesus fly fly tall or something exactly, exactly. sky Jesus yeah, yeah. sky fly fly or something yeah it was really great and yeah. and that's tokipona yeah so what it means is that when you have a vocabulary from your 120 words yeah you can't have a word for like eagle yeah. or uh, sea bass mm. so eagle will be maybe proud bird mm. and maybe a uh, uh, pigeon would be stupid bird or something yes. but then it becomes a lot of interpretation as well because yeah. I mean if you had to describe a pigeon and a, and a hen mm. it, I mean yes. <laughs> how would you do that yes. um, so to me it's not it's an experiment whereas yeah. Esperanto to me is a full kind of and yeah. it's also evolving like, I don't think the idea about Tokipona is that it's evolving that wouldn't make much sense if you want to create a minimalist approach you can't yeah. say I'm just starting with 120. I mean, that's, that's not minimalist approach. That's just the start. Yeah. <laughs> but if, uh, but Esperanto is growing and they're adding new words. I heard uh, Gavin speak of a word. They added cool. <laughs> <laughs> they added cool, which I, I find kind of interesting um, for that. But um, but talk about a little bit more about practically studying. Uh, we got the uh, colloquial Danish here, and you, you talked how you like to collect books. Mm-hmm. And you, you, when you see a book you like about a language, you like you pick it up, and then maybe you don't read it until years later. But is that kind of you? you, you is that kind of how you learned a lot of languages? Just find a lot of material and and read through it. Yeah, and uh, very much. I, I, I tend to get impatient with courses. I did a wonderful course in Japanese, which was really marvelous because from day one we only spoke Japanese. Oh, Within wow. an hour, we were, we were saying. You know, how are you? What is your name? I'm wow. so, you know, all the basics. Yeah. And that gave you such a launch pad of confidence, right. you know, that great, I can get on. And obviously, there's lots more. Uh, so uh, I did a Chinese course, which I got to GCSE. Do you know that? Yeah. Okay, yeah that, yes. Which is not much of a qualification, to right. be honest. But at least, again, it's just a level and, right. and you've got there, which is nice. Exactly. Um, For people who don't know, it would be the equivalent of just below the final high school years, I guess. I would say. So you're about yeah. 16. 15, yeah, yeah. When I went to to Beijing and and I went into a school that was very. But I found that, to my mind, the Chinese that I met didn't really know how to teach the language. Right, I think it often happens. People go on about native speakers, but if they don't have the ability to teach or convey or understand your difficulties, right, you can almost make it worse. Because I remember once in my learning Polish, I I brought an ad in and I got this nice Polish man, and. He was very, very pedantic in an old-fashioned way, and you had to do all the cases slowly, slowly. Yeah, that's awful. You know, I mean, that's, that's the awful. killer for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to teach people as a linguist how to teach right. the language to me. You know, as so this is what you should tell me. Does that course not exist? The how to teach. <laughs> it don't. It should. Yeah. It should. You know, and uh, exactly. But so mostly, I tend to get books or, uh, of course, tapes. I love. You know, I think all listen, the way. Listen, 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 listen. Exactly. Right. And, all the stuff you mentioned before about the net, it's, it's uh, a lot easier now. And then just go to the country and talk. And often I, I quite like summer courses. They're a bit more relaxed. Right. And, you know, there's a community feeling. They're also a little bit more intense because they, that's a yeah, deadline. Yeah, you, you create a, a, a total environment right. in language. It's not like, oh, we have all year. Let's exactly. Whatever time we need is yeah. a few weeks and then. Yeah. 
I did a course for Russian like that in the 60s when I was already in university. It was brilliant because we were in a, we didn't go to Russia. We were, went to part of a lovely part in Austria and these tutors came from Russia and Czechoslovakia and God knows where. And we had this wonderful concentrated yeah. thing. When I went back, my tutors were quite impressed by it. It motivates learning even more because you have this group feeling. Exactly. In your exactly. school, it's almost like you're revolting or rebelling against the teachers exactly. and the, the subject matter because you're more interested in you know, playing and playing yeah. football yeah. whatever you yeah. do when you're exactly. at that age, right? Goofing off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, by the time you get to university, hopefully you've made a serious choice and say, okay, this is yeah. what I want to do. But yeah. school is, you have to go. <laughs> There's no choice. Yeah. But even at school, I was sort of doing this approach of playing around with Spanish and uh, Italian and keeping up my Hindi and always, there's a sort of feeling of, uh, almost illicit in a way that pe people thought, why are you doing that? It was, just wasn't a right. damn thing, right. thing outside the school curriculum. And uh, I don't know, just, uh, and that's, I suppose, settled a pattern in me of going on and doing that yeah. for the rest of my life, really. You know, so and my father encouraged me, he said, why don't you learn one every year? And yeah. so that I, what I found is I actually can learn the structure normally in about three months. Right. Then it's just getting that cavalry, sure. you know, which of course takes a lifetime. <laughs> which, yeah, just do your best, don't you? you know? Yeah, it's funny people, yeah. you know, when they ask you to do that badge, mm. a lot of people say they speak... Uh, a lot of languages quite well or they're really good at a few languages and I always say I don't know any languages well yeah because that involves exactly. an insane amount of a level of understanding of not only vocabulary yeah also grammar yeah I'll say I'm fluent in yeah. and I might say it's my native language but that doesn't really say anything about the level yeah but if you had to say you were an expert in let's like, say Danish mm. to me you would need to understand every single grammatical function it would you wouldn't just be able to speak it like a native it would, it would be understanding beyond that so there's a fundamental i would say problem in the fact that it's just really hard to distinguish between knowing and knowing and knowing exactly. I mean, how much do you exactly know exactly that's why i also hit the numbers game you know yeah. it's like how many languages do you speak it's not really important no I think. not at all but i i think one can help oneself by for instance the it sounds rather bald and, and, and uh, blunt in a way, but the number of words you know. Uh, there's a study, they say, most people in the world speak about, in their own language, about 500 words. Right. It's, and, and it's apparently, if you want to get on in life, you need 1,500 words. It's that right. simple. Yeah, well, Verbal that, skills yeah. are so important if you want to make a career, if you just want a quiet little life and you have a little job and you farm, or whatever it is, you know, you, that's fine, that's great. But, you know, if you want, you... And so, as a linguist, I take that as a benchmark. Okay, I get my 500 words. Right. And then I go on. <laughs> yeah. And if I get to 1,500, oh, I'd like to get to two or 3,000. And then I feel, that's, that's okay, you know. Then I can move on, because I always sort of... I mean, it's fr like French and German, I just don't think about, and I've known them for many, many years. I don't bother to refresh someone. They're just there, you know, yeah. they're just more, they my wallpaper, you know. Yeah. So I'm always moving on to something else. And um, I think you have this whole thing of, you know, pointy or rounded. Will you just go for one or two things in life, or will you be spread right. out? When I was a youngster, I was always being criticized. Oh, you do far too many things, and right. you're a dilettante, and you should do... Well, that was because the preferred model was deepness, depth, right. whatever it was. And, I, and I've gone on and I've done the other thing. And right. I look around and say, hey, there are lots of people doing this yeah. approach. I so, did, uh, what, what was the, um, when you were you, you telling yourself as a round person, how did you kind of apply that to, let's say, the real life, you know, of a, of a job and a yeah, family? Because obviously we can, it's easy to have a round life when you're, you're 20 and you just yeah, fool around. But yeah. how, how when things start to get serious and you suddenly had you know, things that you actually needed to do. You yeah. couldn't just study 20 languages every day. No. Did that, how did that challenge well, I've you? Well, I've always done loads of other things. I, after university, I went into engineering and actually I used my Russian. Um, it was not quite fun. It was in the Cold War in the 60s and I was sent to Russia and I helped sell four complete breweries. Wow. Because it was this amazing, typical Soviet thing. They, they said, right, we've got alcoholism. We know about the vodka, but we've got this dreadful beer. What we want to do is make better beer. Right. And then the people will drink beer and they won't get so drunk. That's their kind of wow. Soviet thinking. <laughs> and okay, we'll invite all these Westerns like Danes and yeah. Germans and everyone who can make good beer. And they will show us, we'll have a, you know, and we'll buy the kit from them. And that's what they did on a vast oh, scale. Wow. And so the Russian girl, who's one of the, who's here, she said, 
She thinks it's still in existence, the uh, right. factory that uh, I, I saw. Uh, that'd be interesting to look up and yeah, see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She said it was a good brand. It, so in a sense, it had achieved wow. the target that yeah. they set out. So that was fun, you know, and dealing at a high level. These people you think, gosh, if I make a wrong move, I'm in Siberia or something, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, yeah it was very exciting. It was a wonderful <laughs> moment. So I did that, and then then I, I've done loads of things in my life. I... Um, Again, the, 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 the sort of uh, um, rounded approach. I, um, I, I, I didn't want to go... I, I tend to have a feeling, right, I've done that, that's good enough, I want to move on. I don't just want to settle in, settle in one thing. Right. So then I went back. I love the countryside. My father was farming and I had farmed as a child. So I went back for that. And then I went into the church. I was always very religious. And then I went to the church and I went to Rome. I became ordained. And then I, and then that drifted away from that. That drifted away in the 80s. You went to the Vatican. Yes. Right. I, I wasn't, I, what it was, I wasn't actually in the Vatican. I was in a place called the Russian College, which is where they train people because I'm a deacon. Of, I became ordained as a deacon of the Russian Catholic Church. It's a very small body. Um, I don't even know. I haven't been in contact for years. Anyway, I did that for five years. Then that all sort of fell apart, and I came back to farming. Right. And this is this brings me to about 81. And then I sort of, my dad died in 89, and my mom a bit later. And I just, actually, I kind of went into the linguistic side quite a lot with translating, interpreting. Right. You know, so that... you had that from... Exactly, age, exactly. But kind of went back to it. Exactly, and it was always around me, and using... Uh, uh, well, mostly not very exotic languages. I just what people ask, you know, French, German, sure. Italian, whatever was on hand. And uh, living in the country and doing my music because I'm a musician and gardening. You know, and 24 hours has just never been enough. <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> that, that's my sort of life. Yeah. You know? and, uh, yeah. And now you're here speaking all your languages <laughs> at the conference. What do you think about the conference? Actually, I haven't asked you that yet. I think, it's, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, I, I said to you or somebody... I've waited all my life for this, right. you know, because I feel like I've existed in a hole. Right. I've got one or two friends, one's in Italy now, one's in America, who are polylinguists, but the rest, people know what I know, one or two languages, right. that's exactly. it, you know. And so it's so wonderful, just the community aspect, and to see, and it's so lovely to see, as an older person, all these young people doing it, and like you, and it's the future, you know, and it's the... I think it's wonderful that, from what people are saying, the future has become more open to linguistic work, if you like. Right. Which is, people realise, beginning to realise the need. Yeah. I mean, they've always known it in Denmark, in places like my country, where it's appalling, as you right. know. Yeah. The language teaching is going down and down. They're, the worst one, they're practically giving up German, which is yeah. Which is a, a catastrophe. It is. Because we all need, you know, German is the power of Europe. You it know, is, yeah. Business and everything else. Exports. You know, your neighbours, you know, yeah. about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and even in Denmark, it's it's being kind of downgraded as well. Really? Because when I was in school, it was, um, I had it from fifth grade. Mm. Maybe, maybe we even had introductory lessons in fourth, but it's definitely in fifth. Um, around fifth or sixth, and I think that's when most English schools started. And then you have it until you leave the elementary school. Yeah. But they're doing it now so that when you do leave at in ninth grade, when you're about, I guess, fourteen or something. I don't know. <laughs> they're about anyway. Yeah. It's too long ago, and yeah. you can choose to go to the gymnasium, which is the high school, yeah. which is basically the access pass to university degrees or that level. Yeah. So you need that first. But if you want to become a scientist. Mm-hmm you choose sciencey subjects and your foreign language could just be English or, you know, you can even choose more obscure languages. But what that means is that when you're giving people the option to forego German, mm-hmm. they're going to be left with only their three or four years in high in normal elementary school. Yeah. And, you know, it's very inefficient. So you don't learn much. Yeah. And when I was doing it, I mean, it's a conscious, conscious choice for me, but when I hit gymnasium or the high school, I, I chose German. So I continued on my kind of journey with German and I had that for another three years and by then I was pretty I mean affluent I was fluent before as well but then by then I could understand all of it mm-hmm. and I to this day I can understand all of it as well but I speaking has been a problem because I didn't speak it for between um, after I, I got out of high school to now mm-hmm. um, so I like this event for <laughs> practicing German I mean we're yeah. in Germany so, yeah. so it's obvious but it's funny how languages go lost like that. Absolutely. I mean, I can 
I can read German. I can understand when people are talking fast. I even understand, mm. understand slang and when they, you know, they speak very fast sometimes. Yeah. And, but actually producing the speech is something that's so rusty for me that it's, it's actually it's a little terrifying. You know, ordering a coffee downtown, you don't want to sound like an idiot. And Yeah. <laughs> so, but I don't know if you've had any experiences with languages going kind of, you used to be really good at it, and then you try to pull it out, you know, just out of the pocket, and then suddenly you realize something's lost here, you know, and you have to kind of fight back. I certainly do. Um, but I never felt it was a serious problem. I just felt, felt this takes a little while to brush up. That's what happens. You know, because it's... I. Everything in my life is about muscle memory. I, you know, I go to my gym every day. I play four or five instruments, musical instruments. I do gardening. All of that is not going to happen like a machine. It's all got to be, especially getting older. I've got to work at it every day, and 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 I like that actually. I right. think, you know, whereas when I, I just think you, you, part of this, there's this sort of anxiety up there. That I noticed people. Oh, I know it's it's. It's gone rusty. I've lost my this and that, the other. I think it's because we come into this machine age where we expect everything just to function right. like your washing machine goes on and on and on forever and ever. Then it does actually die. Yeah. But um, uh, human beings are not like that. They need mm. constant daily replenishment, yeah. and uh, especially this thing, the mind. And yeah. um, it's not difficult. You just do it, and you take right. the right action. So how, how do you, how would you do that if you had say? three or four languages you you had a pretty advanced knowledge of, would you mm. just say, okay, for 15, 20 minutes a day, I'm going to read in that Absolutely. language? Absolutely. Right. Just go over the basic grammar. Uh, I, and I love to speak the words even in myself or out loud, because I really think, I, I read somewhere about a Hindu priest saying with Sanskrit, you have to eat the words. It's wow. like even when you think of a religious so-called, I hate the expression dead languages. To right. me, no, the moment you speak it, it is no longer dead. Right. You know, you know, and you know, whether it's Greek or Egyptian or anything, and yeah. I, I think we make them come alive right. if we want to, and including so-called well, living ones are definitely living. But yeah, I think you just do it. And um, just like you maintain your, the boiler in your house or right. something. <laughs> It needs to be cleaned and uh, looked at, or whatever. And yeah, you know, I guess the problem is that we we constantly referring to a language as learning a language. Exactly. But it's not really it's not, learning, no, is no. it? I mean, you learn you learn exactly. how to play. It's a good point. Well, maybe you don't even learn how to play an instrument, but you learn to. You can learn something uh, to memory. Let's yeah. say a uh, hundred numbers, or you can learn anything to memory vocabulary. I guess we can boil it down to. Mm. But the language itself, we can't learn. Mm. We can only. Do it, kind of. Exactly. And I think all you're doing is sort of, in a way, massaging it back to life. It's, <laughs> right. it's like something that's gone a bit, it has gone a bit dead. It just yeah. needs to be invigorated. Um, because I've heard these wonderful stories about people who uh, were in a, an accident and, um, well, the story, do you hear the story? Yeah, that, well, I think so. I've heard similar stories about people who... Um, yeah, again, the language they hadn't used. I've heard one about French. It was recovered or yeah, something. Yeah, and it's, it really does seem that somehow everything is as if on tape in our, in our right. brain or is, you know, recorded in some way. And it, it, if it's touched, away we go. You know, right. it's all recorded. It's amazing. Yeah. And all we're doing is trying to activate that in some way. Yeah, and it's kind of scary as well because suddenly our brains are truly limitless. Yeah, absolutely. There was a movie recently... Um, that came out that where a guy took a drug it was called limitless yeah. <laughs> coincidentally he took a drug and suddenly his brain was working at 100% instead of the I don't know what the figure they throw around these days but then yeah. it's a very low figure exactly um, yeah. and, and he was just writing novels overnight and you know remembering everything and it's very intelligent of course but it is a scary thought that we yeah. that we have these great minds and they are truly great I mean, yeah. it's a fab, fabulous uh, organ but that it's not even working at half effort exactly and yeah. we can't really make it work harder either. We yeah. can train it, of course, like you said. We can massage it and we can make sure it stays fresh and up yeah. to date. And, but you can't like exceed that biological exactly. limitation. So you yeah. just have to work uh, through it. And I guess putting the work into it is something that some people struggle with, including myself included. I'm a student, so lazy student by heart, I guess. So even doing things that I really enjoy, yeah, I mean, the extreme example would be like, I'm too tired to watch a TV show or something. Oh, I don't want to turn on the TV. I mean, how can you be too tired to turn on the TV? <laughs> and and the, that's the same 
reason I give for like say language learning because even if you're really interested about it, sometimes motivating yourself to do it can be a challenge. Absolutely. So what do we do to kind of, I guess it's motivation, but where do we summon that extra motivation so we become not 5% language learners, but maybe 25%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm really good at it, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I've asked a lot of people about it. I have sometimes, I think, I want to learn this language. And then I, I get to the point, I think, it's too much. It's, it's, it's too much of a challenge. It's, it's too, it's, maybe it's too exciting or it's just, the climb is too steep. And then I just do a very simple thing. Take it in tiny bites. Right. Do something for five minutes, ten minutes. There's right. this idea that you've got to do hours each day. And in the moment you feel, this may sound a bit indulgent, but mostly the moment you said feel too tired, stop. Right. And always sort of leave yourself, I'd like to do a bit more. Leave yourself a sort of oh, appetite. Right. Uh, rather than, uh, it's rather like eating. Instead of eating to feeling full, right. you just leave a little gap. Right. Um, and it's because that gives, that's the desire for the next stage. Right. And sort of even simple things like, I got to this page, I wonder what's on the next page, but I won't look. Right. You know, silly childish stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah. you know, all the, keep it alive, keep it exciting. Yeah. I've and, heard people say that a lot. And I get yeah. that from my music teaching. They say, you know, when you learn a piece of music, um, you know, you can, you can whack away at it, but it's not going to go in. You know, you, you, the mind has got to be fresh and, and lively to receive. Because right. that's what you're trying to do. And do whatever that takes. You know, take breaks. Uh, and even, when you think, um, just a little bit, five minutes each day is building up to quite a lot yeah. over a period of time. Because then again, you're keeping it alive. Absolutely. Because there's Absolutely. a big difference between doing five minutes a day and doing something once a week. Absolutely. you forget something. Absolutely. The, the, the one, one hour a week or two hours on you know, one day is, is better than nothing, of course, but it's not going to build you that sort of strength. Right. I think you want to feel like you've got a, like a, you've built like a wall, as it were, or something solid. Whereas I think very often those, sh- uh, few long periods are they're going to evaporate right they'll have won't take hold another simile is I, as a gardener i know I, I plant these seeds and i don't expect much to happen right away right you know, of course and, not. you know sometimes you know i read a bit and i think wow i've got that and but i haven't really right but i go back to it and it gradually sinks in and then the thing starts to grow right you know what my analogy to that is is mm. when i took the driving lessons uh-huh. when i was 18 oh, wow. i um the first time they get you out in the car, mm. the the driver is obviously assisting you with the uh, the the what you clutch, yeah, yeah, yeah. The clutch, yeah, the yeah, braking, and the, yeah. all the pedals basically. So mm. basically, you think you're really good, yeah. and that's how I feel when I started rushing. It's like yeah. I got to, I had a, a friend on on the Skype, mm. and I wrote to her in Russian, mm. and it was like I was writing in Russian from like the first week or something. Yeah. It was like yes, <laughs> yeah. and now it's like. Because I've learned more about Russian, I realized that the more you know, the more you don't know, right? Yeah. So yeah. that first kind of impression of a language was kind of the assisted driving, the yes. first one. That's because then one. when I got on the second trip, mm. he didn't help at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now I, I broke down and, you know, I failed the clutch several times. I mean, yeah. for, for Americans listening, they're probably totally unfamiliar with the concept of a clutch. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty complicated thing to do yeah. when, you start, when you learn it. Um, but that's why I feel language that you need to realize that just because the start seems... You know, everything new is nice anyway, yeah, you know, exactly. greener on the other side. Yeah. Uh, and But if it, it seems like you're getting a lot in the beginning, um, expect a kind of a hard period to come. Definitely. And Definitely. then Definitely. once you've kind of gone over that mountain where you can now understand it, basic fluency, right. then you just grow and grow. Because Absolutely. then you kind of go from speaking to people with the language yeah. to understanding complex novels. Like Dostoevsky, yeah. Chomsky, or whatever you want, yeah. fancy. Really, I, that's yeah. that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Um, but the trouble periods. That's yeah, this is it. It's it's, it's again. It's another analogy for me. Is I love walking, and it's you know you walk. This is great. I'm starting off. I'm feeling good, and then you go on a bit, and then you you know you feel a bit tired, or then the word is steep. But then again, you know there are good bits and bad bits, and you do the whole walk, right. and you see the view, and then you want to do more. You yeah. know, it's wonderful. It's a it's a total process. You know, and, right. Uh, but that could be hard to see it as when you're absolutely. in the middle of the. If absolutely. you're going up, to the yeah. <laughs> but you have to come down again. Yeah. So it must be it. The yeah. nice things are waiting. One of the only things that I've noticed for myself is when I set, I try to do timers. 
because I feel like if they call it the Pomodoro methods where you set a 20 minute timer, work hard and then take a break, then work 20 minutes again. What I found was that I was doing the 20 minutes and that's it. Uh But if I say I'm going to do five minutes, it's very likely I could do 60 minutes or 110 minutes. Exactly. Because you just kind of a little bit more, a little bit more. But if you fix yourself in a, and I I fear some people might do this. I I don't do it anymore because of that experience. But I feel like when people like Richard or or some of these people say, oh, well, I study two to three hours a day, people put an alarm clock and say, I'll study three hours a day and then I'll be like Richard. But I just I just think yeah. that you're setting yourself up for not expanding as much as you could. Definitely. Definitely. So um, you, you never did uh, like very structured. It was always like how you felt about it. Well, I did do structure, but maybe as a younger person I could, but certainly older, my attention span, you know, is less. But I use that as an advantage in a right. way. And, and then also the thing of... Um, because of where my life is, I, I'll do a bit of language and I'll go and play my flute, you know, of course, and yeah. things like that and break it up. And that seems to refresh the mind. But when you think of another analogy, it's like a meal. I mean, my granny said, chew everything 50 times. Right. You know? And rather than you don't eat a whole steak at one go, you know, exactly. you, and it, it won't digest in you and all the rest of it. So right. that, that's the way we are set up, I think, mostly. Some, some people can do it. The trouble is... It's like a lot of things in life. We have this sort of hero worship. It's like Olympic athletes. Yes. Well, they're fantastic. And all, I know a lot about how they get there, where they are, and the sacrifice, etc. But that's not going to help most people who want to be fit. Right. It's going to be much simpler, much lower grade, you know. And there's such a sort of gap nowadays. Yeah, right. and, uh, even like music, these virtuoso players who do fantastic things. But it's lovely to hear them. But most of us are never going to get that level. And we shouldn't think of it. We're wasting our energy. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's very hard to learn a language if you're thinking about the nine next ones you're going to learn. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like Anthony's uh, presentation from Budapest. I don't know if you've seen oh, yeah. it. He did uh, the way to learn 10 languages was to learn nine uh-huh. and then add one. <laughs> and then he went all the way down to if you know no languages, yeah. the way to learn one. Yeah. is to add one. <laughs> yeah. If you know one language mm. and you want to know two, add one. Great. It's always adding one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. I can see. You that. need to focus the mind on on one, and that's why actually yeah. what I do is you know when I was doing research for this, I, I discovered that a lot of people did multiple languages at once, like mm-hmm. studying it quite seriously, spreading yeah. their time. And I can see how for a, a mind perhaps like by yours that like to go in multiple directions, perhaps that's good in a way. But for me, I'm just worried that. I'm going to spread myself a little bit too thin. Yeah. And so I decided to go with one language at a time, foreign language. Of yeah. course, when I get to a point in Russian where it's natural and fluent and I can read and write and not worry about anything, yeah. then you could start a new one. Definitely. But I think the problem is like, oh, I want to learn Russian, Swedish, and Polish. Mm. And you just start with three books. I mean, that's going to be hell, I think. Yeah. But I think some people do that, though. Well, you could think of it like it might like a school timetable. You know, through the day, you have an hour. Of this, <laughs> just, if, you could, if you've got the discipline and the time, even just in tiny chunks, in five-minute bits, you could, you might try that. Or yeah. Might. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm always, Japanese is sort of eternal for me at the moment. I'm, I'm quite good at it, but I want to get to a level where it's, you know, better. So I do a lot with that. But then I do little bits at the moment I'm doing... Vietnamese and Tagalog. Right. Because, and they're completely different, which is great. Because I, I do families together, but then they do get confused. Yes. Uh, but that doesn't matter. You know, it's just wow. one of those things. Um, so that's my approach. I have a sort of a main one and a right. little, like a main meal and a little salad on the right. side sort of thing. Yeah, if you get if you get annoyed or bored, exactly. bored with the main one, you yeah. can always do a little... Exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah, I think that's fine. Because then you're kind of cultivating the small language into something that could become the main one yeah, later. Exactly, um, exactly. But you're not restricting the main one because of yeah. that. it's just a side thing. Yeah. I mean, but, but some people are very serious about it, I suppose. Yeah. They use eight hours a day. And yeah. I just don't, I don't understand how they can do that. Because even if you're really, really, really interested about it, yeah. eight hours is a long time. It's a third of the day. It's amazing. I wonder, you see, a lot of these things have to do with temperament. I've got a friend in Stuttgart who's a fantastic musician and organist, and he has a class. For some reason, um, female Koreans love to play the organ. For some reason, it's not acceptable for male Koreans. Oh, really? But there's some strange orient. They have all their sort of things. Men do this, men do that, women do etc. Okay, that's fine. But he says these girls, they practice eight hours a day. 
I mean, I don't know how the backsides don't right. it's, you know, <laughs> sitting on the bed. And he says, it's just, not, it's just not necessary. And even, right. you know, a good classical music, musician at an early stage might do up to four hours a day, up sure. to half that. But, you know, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, do something else. But it's, he says it's insane. And he says they, they're very good already. Uh, it's just their kind of work ethic, their whole Buddhist thing of you've got to, you know, yeah. push, push, push. Um, but it really isn't necessary. No. no it's, uh, and there's no pressure. There's no, there's no time deadline. I no, mean, if you, and this is in Germany. Already Germans yeah. work hard. They don't you know, need to go the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, if, and if you're learning a language, it's, if you do it in three months, yeah. you're a genius. If you do it in a year, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And man, I, I said this recently as well. It's like if you could imagine yourself a year ahead in the time, mm. looking back at where you are now yeah. and yeah. saying... I know Russian now, and it only took me a year. Yeah, I'm not saying, oh, it took me a whole year to learn <laughs> Russian, right? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. When we say that, it's yeah. like you learned a foreign language, exactly. a completely foreign language. Yeah. It wasn't even close to anything you've ever learned right. in a year. Yeah. And then people are like, ah, oh, but I want to do it in three months. Yeah. Why? It was just an absurd, aggressive competitiveness or something. Yeah. They're arbitrary concepts. Yes. You know. People are different, and I, I, I just think that you're setting yourself up to be disappointed and fail. I think so. Like, my original goal was to be able to speak Russian here at this conference. Uh-huh. So I started in February or so. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a long time, and it's in finals, there's exams and everything, so it's not like I could just devote an unlimited amount of time to it. But I've just gone and said, okay, that was my goal. I haven't quite reached it, but I will do the goal of December 31st. Yeah. And no harm done. Yeah. But if you set, if you really set yourself up for that, yeah. you could be demotivated, and you could find yourself not wanting to try again. That's right. That's exactly. And you know, you you've given yourself a period of relaxation that will actually, I think, make you learn better than thinking I've got to make this right. deadline. You know, because that's a silly thing to do. I really like the concept. I think he's here at the conference, the guy who writes the yearly glot. Uh-huh. I really love that concept of learning one language a year. Oh, yeah. Because it's yeah. a nice 12 That's what my father told me to do. Yeah, right. it's quite a good idea. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And there's a natural rhythm, you know. I think we are governed by times and seasons. And of course. Weather and all the rest of it. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, we could uh, talk for hours, I feel like, and I'm sure we'll talk again during the, uh, the next few days, but, uh, but for now, I, I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to go on record with, uh, with some of the stuff and uh, share some of your stories, and uh, it, it's been a real pleasure to, to have you here on, uh, on the show, and uh, um, again, I'm sure we'll talk again uh, at some point. Thank you very much, it's been a pleasure for me too. for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. For more information, be sure to check out actualfluency.com. Until next time, enjoy learning and have a great day.